0: Welcome to the latest in conversation with, and I'm delighted to say I'd like to welcome a former Premier League and FIFA listed referee, now community and public engagement for the professional game Match Officials Limited, hailing from St. Helens, a former brickie, police officer. And line up. A referee record of 596 games between 1997 and 2015. The one and only Chris Foy. How are we doing this morning, Chris? Well, I can't be any better after that introduction, can I?
1: Gee whiz, (laughs) you've talked me up now. There's only one way I'm going here, Barry. Gee whiz.
0: There's only one way of going. Something I did find out was in your final season, you you refereed 24 games and you issued eight red cards. So you certainly went out with a bang.
1: Gee whiz, I didn't realise I'd done that many. I know I was on um, Pointless the other week. I didn't even remember how many red cards I'd shown, but I think that was my claim to fame being on that quiz show at tea time.
0: (laughs) Can we start at the beginning? How did you get into refereeing?
1: Well, I, I, as you said, I was a, I was a bricklayer and, um, and I played football a weekend with, with my mates. Was I a brilliant footballer? No, I wasn't. Did they enjoy it? Yeah, I did. Um, my dad was a footballer. He, he played to a reasonable standard, but not pro level. And when he finished playing at about 36, he took up refereeing because he wanted to stay in the game. And he said to me, look, why don't you have a go? So uh, I passed an exam. I bought a kit and I refereed my very first match in the grounds of the old uh, Winnick Hospital, just outside uh, just outside Warrington.
0: I think I, I know that pitches down there as well. Was there a couple of pitches?
1: There was. It was in the grounds of the hospital. It's now a housing estate. And yeah. ironically, the two teams, because I'll always remember this, were staff winning reserves and they played a team called Part Lane from Wigan. And Part Lane won 7-2. That was my first ever forage uh, into refereeing. It was uh, quite an experience, let me tell you. I learned <laughs> a lot that day.
0: Part Lane were based in Abram, if, if, if memory serves me, uh, which is... Uh, where my wife hails from, and I always said to her, "You can take the girl out of Abram, but you can't take Abram out of the girl." <laughs> How did it develop from there? Where did, where did you go to next? I, I mean, you, you, you referee in local leagues. How did you make the jump between the local game and the professional game?
1: I started in the in the Warrington and District League, which was incredible at that time because it was Warrington Prem. It had uh, three divisions. It had three reserve divisions, so there was a lot of football going on in and around that time. Really enjoyed my time refereeing in the Warrington League. Then he had a little uh, a little time in the St. Helens combination, which there is no St. Helens combination now. And then to progress and move forward, uh, I went and refereed in the Liverpool County Com, which was sort of my first experience of refereeing with linesman as was but now of course they are assistant referees then it was a progression through the northern premier league the conference which is the national league now and then in 1994 i got on the line of uh, of the football league uh 90 1995 i was premier league line and then 96 i got uh, appointed to the football league referees list
0: did you make your start as a referee in this 97 season 97 98
1: no, 96, 97, but I refereed Wigan Athletic in 1997,
0: you know. Uh, did you know? Uh, so I'm
1: going to test you now, Barry. Okay. Right, so in 1997, the 12th of August, I refereed Wigan Athletic against Chesterfield, and I'm going to rattle some players' names off here for you. So yeah. You can see how good your memory is? Okay. So the goalie was Butler.
0: Yeah, John Butler. Yeah. Green. Scott Green. Yep. Yeah. Made his Green. debut the game before.
1: Oh, yeah. I've, I've I've not done myself any favors here. Have I? <laughs> right, go on, uh, Johnson, Gavin Johnson. Yeah, left back. What a star! He was substituted by Bishop on seventy-seven minutes.
0: Charlie Bishop, former I
1: think he's a former former Barnsley player. Uh-huh. Greenall,
0: Colin Greenall played for Oxford United in the top flight. Born in Billinge. <laughs> McGibbon, Pat McGibbon. Manchester United scored the goal that got us promotion the season before. Sharp. Kevin Sharp, he's now a football agent. He's got a couple of players on his books who play for Wigan Athletic. Tom Pearce being one of them. Okay. Lee? David Lee. If, if memory serves me, didn't he score the goal in that game?
1: Uh, I don't know, but he might have done. If you said he did, he did. He did. And then yeah, we've got Law,
0: David Lowe. Well, we all know what a quality player David Law was. He's now at Blackburn on the coaching staff.
1: Right, and he was substituted by Lancashire.
0: Graham Lancashire had a really serious injury the season before. Started it on fire and uh, it put him out for, for almost the full season. He had a great partnership with Graham Jones up front.
1: Right. And then uh, O'Connell?
0: Brendan O'Connell uh, scored a hat-trick on his debut against Wickham Wonders when we won 5-2 uh, the same game as uh, Scott Green made his debut in. And then he got some sort of uh, blood disorder, which uh, he ended up having blood clots in his legs and he had to stop playing and became a coach
1: with us. Right, and then Rogers,
0: Paul Rogers scored the winning goal in the uh, AWS, the Auto Windshield Final against uh, against Millwall. Right, Kilford, Ian Kilford, nine seasons with with Athletic, didn't give him a testimonial. Everybody were gutted about it. Nobody more gutted than him. Went on to play for, uh, I think he played for Netherfield and Barra.
1: Netherfield, that's Northern Prem days. I remember that. That was the league. I really. uh, I must admit, that was a great leader referee. And the last one was a substitute who wasn't used, which was Black.
0: Tony Black, yeah. uh, Former chef. and uh, wow. Yeah, we got him from Bamber Bridge. He he had a serious injury. And I believe he listens to our podcast as well. So he's a good name check, though, for Tony Black. Oh, he would
1: be delighted with that then. He will be, yeah. I hope you do listen, Tony. So that game was on the 12th of August, ninety-seven, as I said. And it was a Springfield part with a crowd of three, four, one, three. There you go.
0: That's that's not a bad crowd, that actually in those days for us. So especially uh, for a, a first round EFL Cup, game. Right. Yeah. So we've gone back to basics, haven't we,
1: Chris? Yeah. <laughs> so what did you make?
0: That, of, what did you make of that? Game? Can you remember anything about it? What
1: about your bootings? Uh, oh goodness me! Um, well, statistics tell me there was three. So there was McGibbon, O'Connell, and a lad called Williams who played for Chesterfield. I think that was Mark Williams, I think his name was. I think he went on to play for Shrewsbury. But uh, yeah, that was in first season. I think he did 41 games that season on the Football League. It wasn't, it wasn't uncommon to do a lot, um, a lot of matches. But I must admit, I, um, it was a really, you know, really good experience. And I, I absolutely loved, loved my time refereeing on the Football League. And then, you know, we talked about careers and. 2001 obviously I got into the select group which was the Premier League which was when it was first formed actually of 24 refs but yeah fond memories of uh, those games and uh, some some famous names there isn't there?
0: Well there is as far as Wigan Athletic uh, fans are concerned yes there's some uh, some legends their name is uh, their names are in Fort Law. So, so you said you progressed through to the top flight in 2001 and now you've got this role with the PGMOL, which is quite a mouthful. What exactly is the PGMOL, if you don't mind me asking?
1: Right, it's the Professional Game Match Officials Limited. So it's uh, it's it's made up of three footballing bodies: the Football Association, the Premier League, and the EFL, the English Football League. And it's responsible for all the for the training development and oversees all the appointing for all the match officials on the Premier League and the EFL, Carabao Cup as well. So it's a big body, lots of match, match officials in there, coaching systems are in place, um, sports psychology, sports science. And of course, when you look at now PGMOL, you've got professional referees on operating on the Premier League and professional assistants. And of course, in the AFL, you've got professional referees on, on Select Group 2, which is the championship. So... Yeah, there's a lot of people involved, and I've got to say I've been, you know, with it from the beginning. Uh, I think it's it's a great organisation, uh, and I, I'm proud to be involved in it. You know, still involved in in that organisation, doing what I do.
0: Excellent. So, what is your role there? It says community and public engagement, but what does that entail?
1: Really good question, that Barry. There's three bits to my role. Um, I manage a, bes- a bespoke schools programme, so we've got a number of contracting match officials go into schools around the country delivering presentations which are bespoke to us we do a lot of work with Premier League primary stars we do a lot of work with the Premier League charitable fund we do a lot of work with the FL Trust and community clubs which again is great so I look after that I do a lot of media stuff now obviously there's responsibilities in the media which is something I take care of which I really enjoy and we also do a lot of work with the football family so Pre-COVID, I uh, was involved in quite a lot of football fans' forums, which which were great. I love doing them. I think they're really important. We've done a number of them for the Premier League and also a number for the FL as well, which uh, are great to get fans in a room and put some clips on and you can be the ref. So once everything's back to normal, I'm looking forward to seeing you. I'll give you a yellow and a red card and you can make some decisions for me.
0: Right. No problem. I remember you coming down to the DW. For uh, one of those oh, fans nice. forum seminar type things, and uh, it, it was a really good time. You, you broke us up into little groups, didn't you? And there's all sorts of stuff going on. Real, really engaging. It was really engaging. It was very good.
1: Yeah, they're good. They are good because it, it gives people an opportunity to, to ask questions. It gives an, a, you know fans an opportunity to referee some some incidents in matches and, and give you an idea of, you know, how difficult the refereeing job is. So, yeah, I really enjoy them and uh, sooner we can get them back, the better. I'm really looking forward to uh, getting involved in that again.
0: Talking of which, can I just throw a question at you which was on Twitter the other day? It was a, a, a refereeing question and the question was, a team is awarded a direct free kick. They kick it into their own goal. What decision is given? Is it A, a dead ball? B, a goal? or see a corner to the opposition.
1: What do you think it is? Well, I'll tell you what I thought it was. I thought it was a goal. Well, all you've got to remember with football is you can't score against yourself, so I think a corner would have been appropriate.
0: That's what it was. Yeah, a corner.
1: Was that the right answer? Was that the The right answer? corner was the right
0: answer. We'll give you that one, That's all right, then. Yeah, Yeah, well done. Well done.
1: Pick that law book up every day.
0: Right. (laughs) Sort of there about you starting off in in league in the league as a, as as a um, an assistant as they're known now or a line or mm-hmm. as, as we yeah. often refer to them. Would you recommend that as as a course for people to to follow, or do you think it's up to the individual whether they go straight into in, in, into being, you know, the man in the middle, so to speak?
1: I think what it what it is now it, it's an individual choice. You know, when I, I set out, it, the career path was completely different. Now you'll see. You know, on the Premier League, you have a number of uh, assistant referees who are dedicated assistant referees. That's what they do. They don't referee. Um, you know, they cross the white line with a flag in their hand, not a whistle. Um, I was lucky enough to have a go at both. As I said, foot, Football League, I did a year a year on the line, and then obviously the Premier League for a year, which again was, was interesting. And then once I'd got into refereeing, that was it, but it's completely different now. You know, people have different career paths. I know there's a lad from Wigan very well, I call Phil Dermott, who is whose career path is, is a chosen one as an assistant referee. So he is an assistant referee on the championship. Another lad from Wigan I know really well, Paul Tierney, who's now a referee. You know, Paul ran the line for me. Paul was with me on my last ever Premier League game. When I was refereeing on the Premier League, Paul was an assistant, but he's gone down the refereeing route and, he you know, he's doing very well. He's, he's actually... in a, um, an international referee as well which is which is terrific so you do get that chance but I think what you should do is I think you should always keep your options open and have a look at both and then decide what's for you because I never went into refereeing to be an assistant I always went in to be a referee maybe now I would have a change of heart would I I don't know if I would that would I change anything no I wouldn't but I just think it's an individual choice that people make so let them make it you know I wouldn't I wouldn't guide them down either route I would say have a go at both and then make a decision for yourself
0: you talked previously about going into schools and engaging with school kids and we've seen especially this season with Rebecca Welch uh, she's refereed in in the uh, EFL Sean Massey's been around for quite a a while now and Lisa Rashid is that something you you, you're looking to encourage more females to you know to get into uh, into the male sport rather than you know, just sticking to the female again? Because I'll be honest with you, I haven't been disappointed with any of those females and, and why should I be? But I, I think, you know, they do carry that uh of authority about themselves and they do step up to the mark and they've been very good in my opinion.
1: I think you've got to realise that, you know, when you look at football, football is for all. I know Rebecca Elsh really well. She, she refereed um recently a third round FA Cup tie at Birmingham and Plymouth and was outstanding. Um I, I can't speak highly enough about shan because I've worked with shan you know she, she's been in my team on a match day outstanding assistant referee and of course football is as I say for all but now of course we've got the WSL which is getting fantastic profile and we're seeing some some amazing officiating you know officiating at the top level is really really good so in, in my opinion, I just think that football is for everyone and, and you get their own ability and we're seeing some fantastic performances and we shouldn't forget as well that our match officials are you know, held in very high esteem. We've got the Euros will be coming up and then in time, we're going to have the World Cup. But uh, I do a lot of work with Rebecca um, off the field. She's um, involved with, with education and, and going into schools and talking to, to clubs and colleges. So yeah, they're on merit and, um, and long may it continue.
0: Yeah, Rebecca was with the uh, Women's Super League, weren't she, before she stepped over? And she was due, actually, to referee uh, a Wigan Athletic game away at Doncaster, but she got pulled from that. And nobody knew why, but she's from Washington, which is very close to Sunderland. And uh, we, there was a lot of speculation whether there was a conflict of interest, but well, if she was a Sunderland fan, I, I assume that's probably not the case. It's probably something else. But, uh, you know why football fans' minds work.
1: Well, I mean, that that's it. Yeah, As you say, football fans' minds work it in that way. But I would imagine it may, may have been an injury or an illness that uh, curtailed that because, obviously, there's a lot of work, a lot of hard work goes into making appointments for, for match officials. So, uh, yeah, integrity is uh, very high on the agenda of um, match officialdom.
0: And, and talking about the females coming through and that, uh, one of the things that get my goals up, and I've seen it creeping in a lot this season, is abuse directed at officials. We hear about it, especially at grassroots level, and we know there's a
1: bit of a crisis with referees at that level. How do we sort it out, Chris? I get asked this question quite a lot, if you know, and I speak to people and nobody says to me about, you know, people people get abused. And the question, what I say to this is, when you look at foul language, abusive language, insulting language, sometimes, is it football's problem or is it a society problem? Because if you're a person who's brought up in an environment where it, it's normal to come out with expletives day in and day out, and then you go on a football field, you wouldn't expect somebody to change. But I, I'm a great believer that when you're on a field, you, you have to deal with what you see, what you hear. And, and everything's, you know, everything in its, itself is individual. Everything is judged on its, on its own. And I think, yeah, you know that you've got to realise that match officials work really hard. The, the the FA work really hard with respect campaigns. You know they trial sim bins and what have you. But is it a football problem or is it a society problem? Um, I'm quite sure that when I was refereeing, if somebody came out with something that was you know abusive or insulting, then they you know they'd get the punishment they deserve, which would be either a yellow or a red card. So it, it is a difficult one. It's a question that's asked a lot. I think it's about working hard. I think it's about educating. As I said, I think, you know, our match officials going into schools, talking to young people is helping. Has it been there a long time? Yeah, it has. You know, I can remember refereeing on the park and some of the language you heard was was, was terrible um, from, from the touchline. But it's as I said, it's about educating. Um, we've all got to work together. We've all got a duty to protect the image of the game. You know, can referees and match officials do it on their own? No, they can't. I think captains have got to be involved a lot more. You'll see that, you know, in a game where a referee will pull the captain in and say, listen, take some responsibility for your players. I can't do it on my own. And and that, I think, has worked really well. But, you know, let's be honest. We know it's out there. We've just got to, as I said, we've just got to work together and try and make it a better place to be. I think that's really important.
0: I I agree totally. And I think, like you're saying, I think the, the first responsibility lies with the players because the fans react to what the players do. And there was an incident last season down at Ipswich with uh, Alan Judge and Darren Drysdale. I'm not sure Darren Drysdale reacted. He stood his ground under a uh, mm. sort of intense intimidation from Alan Judge because Judge thought, thought he, he should have had a penalty. But the majority of views that I saw expressed were in support of Dr- Darren Drysdale. Now, I know Drysdale is a, a sergeant in the RAF and he's a big lad you know, so he has a physical presence of him. And Alan Judge is about the size of my 12-year-old grandson. It's just, I think the players have a responsibility where this is.
1: I think I think on that, Barry, I think we've got to realise that everybody's got a duty to protect the image of the game. I think that is the most important thing. And if we do work together, you know, and about educating and, and going into clubs and speaking to people, I think that's that's really important.
0: Can we learn anything from rugby? Now, here is another thing where players severely reprimanded if they backchat the referee. But there was another point as well, timekeeping in rugby, especially in rugby league, it's done by somebody off the pitch. They stop the clock and you get the full 80 minutes. And there's quite a bit of time-wasting goes on in games And it gets frustrating and the referee will add four minutes on at the end and you think, surely there was a lot more than four minutes there, you know. Do you think that's something that we could learn from Rugby League and also the respect element that the players have with their officials?
1: I'll do timekeeping second. I think the first question you asked is is a really good question. I don't know if you remember a few years ago. They had a trial in in English football with, if you gave a free kick and a player showed dissent or kicked the ball away, the player was cautioned and the free kick was advanced 10 yards or 9.15 metres as it is now. And we trial that, and I thought it worked really well. They had to tinker with it a little bit, because if you took it 9.15 metres forward and it went into the penalty area... The difficulty then for the attacking team was getting the ball up and down the wall. So they then thought, well, hang on, if you if you take it forward 9.15 metres, once you get to the end of the penalty area, the free kick is taken there. So it was trialed, it was tested, it was reviewed, it was reviewed, it was analysed, it was looked at, and it went back to the international board um, and it didn't get through. So you know yourself as a rugby league, you know, living in a rugby league town like me, that if somebody gives back to chat, they can march you forward 10 hours. So we tried that. Uh, and it didn't get through. So we're not averse to change. You know, there's always bits and pieces in the law that will will change. You've seen that this year with handball. I think it used to be two pages of law written down. Now it's half a page. You know, it's, it's been simplified. But with regards to timekeeping, you make a really, you know, really valid point. I, said, I think in a number of other sports, they can see the clock count, the ice hockey basketball, where they see it count down. But what the laws say about um, timekeeping is that, the referee acts as timekeeper, so that is actually written within the laws of the game. Whether it will change in the future, um, I'm not sure. But um, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's interesting, isn't it? If you if you're winning one nil, you want a minute. If you're losing one nil, you want five, don't you?
0: <laughs> you do, you do indeed. Well, there's, there's been a couple of occasions uh, this season, and in the in the uh, African Cup of Nations were. The referees made an error on time. There was one guy who blew up five minutes earlier and he had to bring the players back out. And then there was the incident in the EFL where he forgot to add on stoppage time at the end of the first half and then he added it on at the end of the second. So a referee's got a lot to deal with. That's what I was thinking about as well, you know, a lot to deal with.
1: What would you like to see, Barry? What, what's the thing you'd like to see change? Is that is that high on your agenda, timekeeping?
0: Yeah, it is because I think time-wasting is as bad as a professional foul because right. it's it's blatantly obvious. Players are going down, they don't need treatment. Before the trainer comes, uh, the physio comes on, they're jumping up. They're pushing and shoving each other just to stop the game as well. They get the referee involved, he takes time out. And it's so frustrating sat at the side, even when your own team's doing it. Even when you're on it, it, it is a frustration. Straight in pounds. I go to watch the game of football, not to watch mm. antics. I think it would help to curb it if there was, like you say, like, like in ice hockey, where the big clocks up and you can see it ticking down mm. and then it stops when there's the stopping player in it. I mean, I don't mean for every throw in and every corner that they stop the clock, but when the referee's dealing with an incident or there's a player injured or we're waiting for a penalty kick, then perhaps stop it then. And and, mm. and I think we'd get a further reflection of the time that we're missing, and and I think that would would help fans' frustration a little bit. But I do agree with what you say. If we're winning one nil, I'm not bothered about that. <laughs> just just <laughs> not the minute. <doing it laughs> <at all. laughs> yeah, no, point. no. In seriousness, I yeah, get that. I Fourth officials, do they help referees during a game? Can they spot something and let the the ref know that he's missed something or she's missed? They've missed something.
1: Absolutely. Um, what the law says about fourth officials, they assist the referee to control the match. And they do because they've got a communications kit. I think one of the most volatile places on a football field is in front of the dugouts, five metres in, five metres either side of the halfway line. When you get that throw-in that doesn't go the way you think it should and everybody's up in arms. It might sound a bit crazy, this, but I used to, I used to enjoy being fourth official because you learn a heck of a lot. You understand more about team tactics. You you learn more about the players. You listen to what the managers are saying, and I think that really and that really works. And I also think that you can educate as well, because you have the same view. You know, a manager might get irate about a decision on the other side of the field, and you've got the same view. So it's very difficult to to, to disagree with them in that situation. But I used to like doing it from a learning point of view. But you really can add value as a fourth official you know, for the ref and the two assistants as well. It's just G and your team up because let's face it, when Wigan Athletic walk out in, in blue and, I don't know, Doncaster walk out in red, you, you, the third team is the refereeing team and there's four of you and you're know, all there to help each other. So constant dialogues going on and it's about, you know, getting, getting as many decisions right as you can during the match, which is for the betterment of the game as well. So, yeah, it's a vital role it's an important role and it's a role that can really as i said can really add value on the afternoon.
0: Yeah you, you mentioned there about learning learning stuff and i've noticed that quite a few of the younger newer refs place the soft sort of officials sometimes in the championship as well is that part of the the strategy of of the pgm or well to to give them that experience and well it's
1: experience no experience is vital isn't it you know as as um, as an up and coming match official if you get appointed uh, as as a referee on the AFL then at some stage you're probably going to get an opportunity to be fourth official on a championship game and vice versa and you, you move around and you you know just because you're on select group one which is you know Premier League doesn't mean you're referee on the Premier League every week you could be in League One you could be in League Two you could be in the championship and there's opportunities that appear all the time but what it is it's all about learning and I think to, to become, you know, uh, a really accomplished official, I think when you when you sort of lower down, you 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 go you are on the assistant referees list, then you're refereeing, you're building. It's like when you're an apprentice, you know, when you're an apprentice, they give you all the tools, don't they? But you as you said, you're a mechanic, you couldn't you couldn't service a car first off. I mean I got to travel, I couldn't I got all my tools in spirit level, but I couldn't build the wall. So it's about building your experience and expertise and, and learning from all the opportunities that present themselves. So, as I said, the fourth official role is, is an, a really important one.
0: Var, clear and obvious. Is it working as yeah. expected or uh, does it still need refining?
1: Say, I have to say that it took a long time in in rugby to get it right. I think that, what are we now, two seasons in? We, we never talk about really good VAR decisions, do we? Because it doesn't make the news. And there are a heck of a lot of them. I think that we, we only sort of home in on decisions where you go, I'm not sure about that. I mean, let's let's be brutally honest. Being a VAR is a tough job. Football is compelling, it's competitive, it's fast flowing. And we want, you know, we want that's what we want from it. Every day when there's a, a match round of, of Premier League games or FA, FA Cup ties, Carabao, where they've got VAR in place, they review, they look at it. The um the match officials, they learn. Um, do they make mistakes? Yeah, of course they make mistakes. they human beings, we all make mistakes. Nobody made more mistakes than me when I was refereeing. But it's about learning and getting better. And the more you do it, the better you you know you're gonna become. But I have to say, if I was refereeing now, I'd love that. I really would, because I wouldn't have to sit behind the settee on a Saturday night watching match of the day. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, 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 had a,
0: the I had a I had a I had a question down which was uh I'll read this as I've written it. Following your decision, did you ever think, oh, oh, I got that one wrong?
1: I I tell this story, and this is where VAR would have been unbelievable for me. I refereed a game at Tottenham a few years ago, and I gave a penalty, and there was no dispute to this penalty. It was a clear penalty, blew the whistle point to the spot, nothing, no dissent, no no questioning of it at all. When I watched it, when I got home that night, it was the clearest dive you've ever seen in your life. It was a shocker. Uh, and it hurt me, you know. It it, it it was like like a dagger through my chest. It was awful. Felt terrible. And with VAR, that would have been have a look at the screen. It's a dive, yellow card, and where you go. So, in that situation, it would have worked really well. But yeah, I, I really like VAR. I really yeah. do.
0: The best ref, English and international, that have sort of inspired you or you've looked up to.
1: I go, I go back a long way. It's unfair to mention. An individual. There were a number of referees who inspired me along the way in my journey, uh, for different reasons. I think George Courtney was was one. Uh, you know, World Cup referee, outstanding referee from the Northeast. Um, his credibility in the game was was unbelievable. Top top referee. I like Neil Midgley. I thought Neil was a character from Manchester. He, he was fun. Big rugby league fan as well. Um, Neil was good. He helped me quite a bit. But if I was to pick anybody, my unsung hero would be Joe Worrell from Warrington. Joe was a lovely man, outstanding referee, just quietly went about his business. And And he said to me one day, he said, if you can leave the ground, Chris, with your bag and your kit in your bag and nobody knows who you are, then that's mission accomplished. And I've never forgot that. And, and that's the way he went about his business. He was just quietly unassuming guy who went about his business in a in a really efficient way. Yeah, top, top ref. A lot of time yeah. for Joe. Great guy.
0: Lovely. I've, I've written some characters down here from the past six years. Uh, you've mentioned Josh Courtney, which I had down, but I had others. Um, you might know these, you might not. Kevin Lynch. Oh, Lynch the ref. <laughs> <laughs> that was his. The, uh... That was his. The Battle of Springfield Park. We're going to face it to be Bristol Rovers. They reduced Bristol I, Rovers I to seven players.
1: I, yeah, yeah. I ran the line for Kev a long time ago. Oh, Craig, we're going back here, Barry, aren't we? Character. You've you got me here. I can't yeah. remember that far back. Roger Milford.
0: Roger Milford. Milford. Yeah. We had a lovely here. poem. Remember.
1: Yeah, yeah. Roger, remember him? Yeah, he's yeah,
0: from the uh, Uriah Rennie, who
1: was yeah, he, he, he was. An imposing character. He was my roommate when I was uh, first got on the uh, select group. Great guy, Yuri. Great guy.
0: Howard Webb, of course.
1: Goes without saying, doesn't it? Yeah. Howard Webb now, he's uh, in charge of uh, American referees, Major League Soccer, 2010 FA Cup Final. What bigger mm-hmm. accolade can you get than that?
0: Yeah, and the last two I had was Keith Ackitts and Clive Thomas. Mm.
1: Clive Thomas. <laughs> Crikey, that. Goodness me. That is going back. You're you're a lot older than me, mate. <laughs> well, I, uh,
0: I'm not that much older. <laughs> I think i four years. I think I've got yeah. four years on you. Some characters um, there. Yeah. Uh, who's the best player that you've refereed, technically, and who was the most polite player?
1: As oh, well? gee whiz! Um, the best player I've ever refereed is is without. It's undisputed, really, is, is Cristiano Ronaldo. What isn't there to say about him? Six foot two, run like the wind, as fast as anything, head the ball, free kicks like you've never seen, skill, just an amazing, amazing talent. Yeah, he's he's the best I've refereed by, by a mile. And the most polite is an ex Wigan player who, who I know. I'll tell you what I'll do, I'll test you. If I say Preston, that gives it away, doesn't it? He's from Preston. We've had a few
0: players from Preston.
1: Oh, well, okay. Well, we'll give you another yeah. clue. He played for West Brom. Oh, I've got you. I've got you. <laughs> he played for Sunderland. West Brom and Sunderland. We have had a couple played of roles. Ever- played for Everton. Oh, I've, I've got it
0: now. Yeah, that give it away, that one. And he played for the Republic of Ireland as well. He did indeed.
1: Yeah. De- Kevin de- Kilburn.
0: De- Absolutely,
1: killed. yeah. Yeah. Um, When I first met him, he was just a really humble guy. And all through his refereeing career, you know, I think he finished at Hull, if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. Kev's just a lovely lad Um, and enjoyed refereeing him. Polite, pleasant, um, nice footballer. Good footballer, Kev. Um, Great off the field as well. But yeah, he's someone I know. I haven't spoken to him for a a long time, but uh, yeah, really nice guy. Lovely, lovely stuff. You agree with that, don't you?
0: We used to call him Killer Killer Kilban or Zinedine <laughs> Kilban. You know, he had a, one or two names there. I don't, we never knew if he signed him as a left back, a left winger, or a center mid. But, but he, he, he filled in in any of those positions, uh, yeah. you know, he was Good he everything,
1: yeah. Quality I think, I wonder how many caps, he did, he must have done a lot I bet He did, 100. I think, you 80 did he odd. did he do? 100? There you go. says it all, done it, yeah. Good footballer yeah. as well, nice guy, lovely man,
0: yeah. Any young refs that you spotted? coming through now that are going to go all
1: the way it's it's unfair really to highlight because what we've got at the minute is we've, we've got young referees coming through all the time you know from the National League into the Football League and then the flow from the Football League to sort of the Championship and then we've got referees who are in the Championship SG2 Select Group 2 as it is going on to the Premier League you know we've got new referees on Select Group 1 this year Michael Salisbury from, from Preston Tony Arrington, John Brooks mm. You know, individuals like that. Some some people who've refereed at championship level and now making that step up uh, to the Premier League. So there is a nice flow uh, of of referees coming through. It's unfair to highlight them individually because it puts too much pressure on. But um, I see Darren England's doing really well. I see Paul Taney's is doing really well now. You know, Paul, who obviously all the, the Wigan fans will probably know, um, international referee, Premier League referee. He's been VAR in. European football goes about his business in the right way. And Paul, is, you know, as I said, he, he was an assistant referee for me. Then he went on the you know the fo- football league. He was on Select Group Two Championship, and he's 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 progressing nicely. So the, the path is there for you. So yeah, we have got a number of good officials coming through for sure.
0: Uh, I'll drop a name in because he refed us on Tuesday against Oxford United, which we didn't win. I thought he was very good. He was fair for both sides. Didn't stand any nonsense. Uh, Andrew Kitchen, and it's his first season in the Football League, and uh, he was very good.
1: Good. What did you like about him, Barry? What was his What was his strength?
0: He was up with play all the time. He wasn't fooled by any antics. He he, he, he spoke to the players when he made decisions. Uh, the only thing I didn't like, he didn't have enough. Time on at the end because <laughs> I thought we might have gone on and won it. It probably could have done with that in twenty minutes on. To be honest, but it was very calm. There was a couple of melas. He stood to the side, let like it sort itself out. I thought he was very oh,
1: good. oh good, oh excellent. I'll uh, I'll uh, I'll, feed, I'll feed that back. I, I do I do really think that to be a, a top ref, communications key. You know, chatting to the players, talking. You know, not talking all the time, but but talking when it matters. And, and explaining stuff if people are receptive. You know, you don't want to be talking if people don't want to listen. But as you say, I'll take that on board and uh, I'm sure he'll be delighted with your feedback. That's brilliant.
0: Lovely. And before we finish, just three, three things I've wanted to bring up, uh, two you about yourself, really. You must have been really honoured to referee two cup finals, the League Cup and uh, obviously the big one, the FA Cup as well, the Chelsea-Portsmouth game. Is that the pinnacle, do you think, of apart from the World Cup for an English ref?
1: Yeah, well, obviously there's European competitions in the Europa League and Champions League, but from a personal point of view, walking out at Wembley with a ball in my hand for the 2010 FA Cup final was the proudest day of my referee in life. Uh, 90,000 at Wembley. I gave two penalties, you know. One was saved and one was missed. Yeah, it was, um, it was a very proud day, that. I can. I remember it with great, great fondness. Proud day for, for me, proud day for my family. Proud day for all the people that had supported me. So, yeah, it was uh, something I reflect on. and Yeah, it was a great achievement and um, nobody can take it away from me, can they?
0: Yeah, and people remember Cup Final refs. I remember ours, Andre Mariner. The Ben Watson header. Yeah, we all remember the Cup Final refs. And obviously your last game was at Manchester City against Southampton at the Etihad, 45,000 supporters. Was it emotional?
1: Um, I'd made a decision earlier on in the season that I was finishing. It was going to be my last game. Was it emotional? I couldn't let emotion get involved because with it being my last game, I couldn't do something silly and implode. So I had to be mentally tough and go out there and do exactly what I've been doing all through my career. And that was delivering a refereeing performance that nobody was going to be talking about me. Ironically, I mentioned Paul Tini quite a bit, haven't I? He was my fourth official that day on my last game. Uh, Yeah, so I went out at a caution after about a minute for Alex Kolarov. And when I blew the final whistle, I just stood there, looked up, looked round, reflected and walked off with with a player who also played in his last ever Premier League game, Frank Lampard. That was his last game. He played for Man City. So I went in the changing room, put my stuff in my bag, got a couple of nice gifts, one off Southampton, one off Man City. Went home, went out with my family and drew a line in the sand. That was it. I was finished. There was no more. I've got to tell you a story, by the way, about that because that evening, Sir Chris Hoy tweeted and he said, congratulations on an outstanding refereeing career. My Saturday afternoon Twitter feed will never be the same because when, it, when I did something people didn't like, they tweeted him. Oh, did they? Yeah.
0: Chris Hoy, Chris Hoy. Oh, Chris Hoy, yeah. It's oh, Chris that's Hoy. excellent.
1: Chris Hoy, the worst referee there's ever been.
0: Uh-huh. And finally... What are your hopes for the future of refereeing?
1: My hopes are that our conveyor belt of match officials uh, continues to flourish. Um, I want to see our match officials be successful at the top end of the game. You know, the World Cup's coming up. Wouldn't it be great if we saw Anthony Taylor and Michael Oliver at the World Cup with their respective teams? And seeing our people go out, doing a good job, and when fans leave the ground, they're not talking about the ref. Perfect.
0: Brilliant, Chris. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much lifting the lid on on the referees and some of your personal experiences down the years. Thank you so much for that, and we really appreciate your time
1: with us today. Thank you. No problem. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me, Barry. <laughs>